at least. Use a stand here. Try something a little bit different. We'll start with praying. Uh, God, we just thank you for the people that are here. Um, the prayer today is that we learn to submit to your authority. Because you know what's best for us. You know what we need. And we thank you for that authority. And I pray that in your son Jesus' name. Amen. How do you feel about rules? Specifically, rules and laws that you have to submit to. Is it a positive thing? Is it a negative thing? I'd probably say that in the culture we're raised in, it feels like a burden. Um, even in just our humanity as children, we're selfish. We don't like being told no. We don't like being told what we can and can't do. Um, it's in us from the day we're born. But the very interesting thing is that the Jews had a perspective of this that we didn't have. The Jews had a perspective that it was a precious gift of love from God. There's an observance that happens in the spring, and it's called Shavuot. And Shavuot is a very special and very celebrated time in the Jewish communities. This is the time when they celebrate the giving of the law. Uh, Moses coming down from Mount Sinai and giving the law to the people. They don't look at it as a burden. They look at it as he loved us enough to give us something to protect us. He loved us enough to give us a precious gift. You think about uh, the gift of protection from a mother and a father when you're growing up. That's one of the most secure things you can feel is knowing that you're always going to be protected. But we don't look at it that way. The culture we're raised in, we think thoughts like, why can't I drive 90 miles per hour? I want to get there faster or... Um, if I've had a little bit to drink, I can still drive home. It's not that big a deal, right? We look at it as a burden when these laws are put on us or these rules are put on us. And I want to do a little uh, experiment today. Um, we're going to pass a law during this, um, this sermon, if you want to call it that. We're going to pass a law. If everybody agrees, it's not going to hurt you, but I'm going to prove a point. And it's going to be self-reflective of how your heart feels about something. Everybody has a cell phone, right? I want you to hold it up. Get your cell phone. I know you've got it. Hold it up. All right? All right, let me see them. This law, there's a little button on the side right here. If you push it and you hold it in, it gives you the option to turn it off. Our law is turn it off during the sermon. All right? We touch it, we turn it off, and we set it down for just a moment. All right? Just for the sermon. I'm not going to be that long. How did that make you feel? You feel a little uh, violated maybe, a little bit like something's being held from you, right? Eh, there's a few of us. I bet at some point in this sermon, you're going to want to reach down and grab it. Just out of mere reaction of doing it over and over again, right? See, that's the way our perspective is in human nature. We think something's being held back from us. Um, when we look at this Shavuot and the preciousness of the law that was given... Um, we see a different perspective of rules. See, God loved them enough to give them something to protect themselves. I want you to imagine for a minute that God's law, which started with the Ten Commandments um, and eventually went into the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, 
And uh, one, one that's specific is Leviticus. There's a lot of God's law that was uh, born out of Leviticus, but it all came underneath the Ten Commandments as the foundation. I want you to think of God's law as a wall of protection around you, okay? Even from the perspective of, um, let's say, sheep in a flock, right? Something built around them that's protecting them. But the sheep has a um, choice to make. One sheep may look at that fence as keeping them from something, thinking that that grass on the other side is greener, that that's better pasture. The other sheep thinks of it a different way. They think the master must have known there was something out there that I didn't need to be by. There's something out there that I can't see that's dangerous. That sheep knows that the lion roams out there and it waits to devour us. In essence, that is what the law was. It was a precious gift of protection given to the people. I want to ask you this question, and I like audience participation. What was our first law? Well, let's go back even farther. Our first rule, let's not call it a law yet. The first thing we were ever told not to do you got it. Let's go to, let's go to Genesis. Uh, we're going to go to Genesis 2, 15 through 17. All right? What does God say? This is the first time we're ever told not to do something. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Right away we see that God puts something in place, right? He puts a wall around this tree in the middle of the garden. And he says, all this stuff outside of it's good. But that right there, don't eat it. Now, this is where I believe that our enemy Satan shows his cards the first time. And he has made this more and more elaborate as time has went on. But his purpose and his mode of operation has always been the same. He's had one objective through all of eternity. And that's to discredit God and paint God in a different picture. God's personality. So um, let's go to Genesis 3. This is where we start to see what um, the devil's intention is, right? Now the serpent was the most crafty was more crafty I my glasses on, I should put them on. was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, "Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden?" The woman said to the serpent, "We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die." You'll not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. What does the devil do right there? He tells us something that he wants us to believe about God's personality. He wants us to believe God personality is a personality that would withhold something good from you. Something that's a blessing. Something There's something he wants to keep you from that will bring you happiness. He's stingy. That's what he wants you to believe. He wants you to believe your God is stingy and wants to hold back good from you. 
And as we see this played out more and more throughout history, and even today, right now, this is very much what he intends to do. He wants to get us to step outside of that fence, that wall of protection, because he says there's something better out there for you than what's inside. Right? Um, one of the culture pushes today, right now, this is really, really, really being forced on our kids, on our adults. Um, this is really, really being ingrained in them right now. One of the big things is sexuality. And I'm going to keep it PG because we got some little ones in here. Um, there's a big push in the realm of sexuality that um, God wants to hold something back from you, right? Um, we can clearly see God's intention. There is no debate in it at all. When we look at Leviticus 20, you can read about later God outlines what is good for us and what is intended in that realm and what is not. He uh, reiterates it throughout the Old Testament again and again, and then Paul touches on it several times uh, in the New Testament. We are uh, getting ready to read the uh, first chapter of Romans, and you're going to read a little bit about that there, even into the first chapter of Timothy that we had read before. The devil tries to tell us that there's something out there that's being withheld from you in that realm um, that God is being stingy about. He does, it's good, and he doesn't want you to have that. But this is the trick that the devil's played in God's law. He tries to paint all of love in, with one brush, essentially. Uh, the Greek philosophers divided it into three categories. And I'll, I'll use the layman's terms, okay? The first category is our brotherly and sisterly love. Um, this is the love that Jesus talks about. This is what we're told that we can pour out absolutely 100%. There's no limit. Pour it out on everybody that you come in contact with. The second type of love is the God's love. The only love that God knows. The only love that is so um, awesome that we can't understand it that he'd give the most precious thing in his life. That is the second type of love that they, they had uh, categorized. And then the third we'll call a romantic love. Um, the Bible is perfectly clear about it. No matter what you hear, kids, uh, the Bible says that there's only one place for that, and that's in a covenant relationship with a husband and wife. Period. There is nothing, no other place that that can happen, okay? Um, now, the world wants you to think that there's, uh, God would withhold love from you, right? But what he doesn't realize is if you step outside of that, there's sadness that will eventually come from that. There's hurt that will eventually come from that. You will not be happy. Even though it looks good, it's going to hurt you in the long run. And it does look enticing. And what ends up happening is, is it destroys a lot of lives. Now, there's good news and there's bad news with that. Um, if you stepped outside of that, yes, the good news is that God's made a way. He made a way for you to come back inside the pen and be safe again. He made it through his... his uh, his son, and he made it through confessing and repenting, and repenting and turning away from your sins. The bad news is you're not guaranteed not to have pain on this earth from your consequences from your actions. Um, but God did make a way, and uh, glory to God for making a way through that. Um, one thing that we have to realize is when we look at God's law, it is the foremost authority. We look at the Ten Commandments. We look at the, the law that came through the Levitical law. And we see a couple different types of law in Leviticus. We see, and this can be confusing for Christians, we see laws that was given to all mankind and laws that was given to the Jews 
separately and also the laws that all mankind fell under. And the reason the Jews had special laws is because they were supposed to be a special group of people and they had to stay together. They had to know their identity throughout thousands of years because there were special things going to be done through them and still are going to be done through them when we read in the book of Revelation. So they had to be set apart and they still to this day have to be different to some way. Uh, the main thing was that a savior was going to come through them that was going to be the savior of the world. And they had to also be a um, kind of like an eternal witness for the world of God's love and power. And if they weren't different, we would have never seen it through them. Those laws I'm not talking about. I'm talking about the laws that fell under all mankind's, us Gentiles. I don't know if any of you are Jews, or maybe a few, but um, we are Gentiles for the most part. And we are adopted Jews because we are uh, under Christ. And we fall under those laws that are God's law. Now... Under God's law is man's law. Man's law was only made and birthed because of the power that comes from God's law and the authority that comes from God's law. You think about our country, we think about um, our Constitution. Um, it's a beautiful thing. God's fingerprints are all over it when it was designed. If you read in history, you'll find that our first um, nation, when New York was our actual capital, that our leaders got on their knees and dedicated our country to God when this was formed. God's fingerprints are all over it. And it has the authority of God essentially in it because it fell under submission from God's law. But one thing I've learned about our Constitution, it's also a mirror. It's only as good or as bad as the people it serves. It gives a reflection of our hearts. It can be used to bless the people when the people's hearts are following God are good, or it can be weaponized to break down and to destroy and attack God's church when it's interpreted the wrong ways. And it reflects directly the hearts of the people. Right now, we're starting to see that, uh, that second way, that second um, evil use of it. Um, but it was meant ultimately for God. So... I was thinking about this, uh, pondering just how God's laws and submission is a precious gift. And something occurred to me um, about a year or so ago. There seemed to be this movement in our country of anti-law, anti-law enforcement specifically. And it was bizarre to me because these are the people that swear to, to protect us. The people that are under God's authority. Um, so I started thinking about this, and I thought, what is going on? Is the, is the enemy moving in all of this? And what is his, what is his end game in what's going on? Um, let's turn to Romans 13.1 real quick. So I started going and looking in the Scriptures, and I started pondering what this was all about. And this is what Romans 13.1 says to us. I'm going to get my glasses for this one. <laughs> Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Let's stop right there. The people that are put in those positions are there because God put them there. Whether or not the bad hearts of the people have elected bad judges or bad cops or bad teachers or whatever it is, the Bible says that the rain falls on the head of the righteous and the unrighteous. When there's bad that are put in those positions, even the righteous will suffer. Okay? But 
make no doubt about it. Those people were put there because God chose to put them there. Let's go a little bit further. The authorities that exist have all been established by God. So God puts those in those positions. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against God, what God has instituted. So if you're not obeying what the judge says, what the cop tells you to do, what the teacher tells you to do, if you're arguing with a referee that's trying to do something good and righteous, you're wrong. You're doing it directly against God because that's how authority came into place is by what God has put in that place. For those that do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for you. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For the ruler does not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on wrongdoers. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to their authority, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. So that cop carrying that gun on his hip, if I'm not doing anything wrong, it's not meant for me. I don't have to worry about a thing. But if I'm doing something dirty, I need to worry about it because he has the authority of God on his hip and he can be the administrator of God's wrath through the judgment. Um, now, I can tell you this. I've... I've had relationships with people on both sides. Um, I've had relationships with people that have broke the law and people that uphold the law. I can tell you the one thing that I know for sure. You cannot judge, determine a person's heart status or a heart personality based on their occupation, based on their race, based on their economic status, based on any of these generalities. You cannot. Everyone is on an individual basis, and I have learned that. I have seen good and bad on both sides. Uh, God says that for each person, each person fearfully, and uh, how's it go? It's fearfully works out the, their salvation with, yes, okay, thank you. Um, so it's on an individual basis. But those people in that position of authority, they still have the authority of God on their shoulders, the mantle on them. Well, I thought about this. Why did this whole movement happen where they were being kind of painted in this bad light as generally bad people? Um, you see these defund the police things going around. And I feel like God, as I was meditating on this, God revealed something to me. It came back to God's law and Satan's purpose in God's law. See, Satan knows that if he can tear down that fence that keeps us out of the pastors we're not supposed to be, or it lets the lion in, if he can move the people a little closer to thinking those enforcing the law are bad, it's one step closer to thinking the law itself is bad. And that is the direction that he is taking us in this country, in this world. He wants us to believe and our children to believe that God's law is bad. God's law is holding something good from them. Because if he can tear that down, the line will have free reign. Everyone will be devoured. There'll be no way to protect yourself. That law is the only thing that protects you staying inside, out in this world. 
Now, we can still have our salvation through Jesus Christ, but the harm that can be done to us here is through that protection of God's law. So, I want to ask you, how do you feel about that cell phone being off? You might have felt like it was a little bit of a restraint, a little bit of a burden, but it probably kept your attention a little bit better, and it was probably better for you, wasn't it? <laughs> Some things we can't see. Some things that look good or look bad, we can't see why God does what He does. And that's the bottom line. We have to just trust Him. He's not going to hold anything bad from you. I'm going to end with this. In Old Testament times, the cities had walls, and the walls had a purpose. They were to protect those that were inside. You as the church, understanding what our enemy is up to, you have the duty to sound the alarm. On those walls, day and night, they had someone that was a watchman. And when he seen an enemy coming, he blew the shofar horn. And it was to alert the people of what was happening and where it was happening. And as believers, you sit on those walls. You're the ones that are seeing the attack of the enemy. And right now, God's law is under attack. You are the one that holds the truth. And you are the one that can communicate to non-believers or maybe believers that are being swayed the wrong way what the law really is. It's not a burden. It's a precious gift of love meant to protect you. Stay inside of it. It'll make you happy. It'll save you from sadness. It'll save you from harm. All right? Let's end today with a prayer. Uh, God, we just thank you. Um, we thank you for loving us enough to give us things to protect us. Um, change our perspective. Help us to submit. We have to submit to you. We have to submit to your law because you know what's best for us. You know what will bring us happiness. And God, we just pray as the devil attacks this country, we just pray that you bring it back. You bring it back to what it was meant, what our forefathers dedicated when they were down on their knees, what it was dedicated for. We thank you for us being born in this country. Uh, we want it to be good for our children and our grandchildren and our children's children if we're still here. Ultimately, though, Lord, we know this is not our place. We're ambassadors in a foreign land. Uh, one day we'll be in the New Jerusalem. Well, there'll be no need for walls anymore because there'll be no evil. But until that day, God, we know that we're burdened uh, to protect our church, our country, our family, and the people we love. And we love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.